So uh, this evening, I'd like to offer some thoughts uh, on the topic of wise speech. I I hope that um, these thoughts will serve as an opportunity for all of us to uh, reflect on this um, aspect of our practice and to, to in a way, open it up as, uh, as a practice and as a a place uh, for a deepening our practice, deepening our, our understanding, and deepening our, our capacity to to participate in our lives in uh, kind and wise ways. I think um, I think we all, in some way, we we all know uh, the power of speech, the power it can have, and I think we also all very typically forget that, or kind of think mm, doesn't doesn't really matter doesn't really matter what I say. And I think one of the reflections as, as I've been kind of um, developing this talk and thinking about this is um, being to see how can we actually um, open this up and reflect on, on speech without kind of going <laughs> not being able to speak. When I, one point during the preparation of this talk, I just I got one piece of paper and I wrote in the middle of it silence. <laughs> but I I have more bits of words on these bits of paper, so but <laughs> that seemed to me at one point very helpful because it seemed to be proliferating and getting bigger and more complicated and and I thought okay, so here on retreat perhaps we we can really. Uh, deepen our sense of how uh, the silence, the silence that we can find on retreat and here and the silence we can begin to find inwardly and the importance of that as, at least in part, a resource for our speaking and for our listening. Um, so also, as we've been doing today in, in the practice... Is listening and how much I mean again sometimes I think it's this is the beginning and middle end of middle and end of wise speech is listening. You know, and, and, and how how much um, when we really listen inwardly, when we listen, really listen to another when we really listen to sounds, when we listen to the cries of the world, 
we can respond and sometimes in ways that surprise us. I know something helpful actually comes out of our mouth, you know, shock. And it's that uh, wisdom and that, that kindness that then can be, can be accessed, can be available through the silence, you know, through the listening. And so another way in which what we're doing here on retreat is, is again, so much a resource, uh, uh, so much needed in our lives, in the world, you know, for our own benefit and for the benefit of others. Very small example of the power of of speech. I was fairly recently on the tube in London and um, travelling with a heavy suitcase, and it was a rush hour, unfortunately, in the morning, and so the train was pretty crammed. And you know, hey, the train comes, it's already full, and there's like twenty people trying to get on, you know, and it's all a bit, uh, yeah, intense if you lived there for a while. And so I was finding myself at the back of the queue and I'm kind of getting on the train and pulling my case after me and sort of huffing and puffing a bit and landing in the middle of this group of, you know, everybody in London wears black. Then there's all this history. <laughs> I really noticed that. Fortunately, I had a black coat on as well, so, so I felt a bit more like... Uh, anyway. Um, and this this man who was standing quite quite near me just sort of kind of saw what happened and just said... Um, oh, it was good thing the case didn't, you know, land up on the other side of the door and you on this side, something like that, and, and just smiled. And it was so lovely. It was so, it was so kind. And in the middle of that rather kind of, you know, small thing in a way, a kind of irksome journey, it, it was just, it made such a difference, it made such a difference. And it feels like those kinds of uh, small, small acts of kindness can make a lot of difference. So um, I wanted to look a bit at well, what what is wise speech? You know, as the as the Buddha taught, and this word wise, um, sometimes translated right, is also I think really helpfully understood as appropriate. This is, a, this is a great word because it's it's so it's so much about that this contextual teaching, this situational ethic, this sensitivity to the particular conditions, to the changing conditions that we're we're in from moment to moment, and what's appropriate now might not be appropriate in five minutes, and so there's this uh, wonderful kind of invitation challenge to. Yeah, just to, to, to connect, to connect so that we can have more chance of responding with with wisdom. Um, but also the Buddha did give these guidelines, you know, which um, to you know help us to, to make this discernment, this discernment between what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, and to train in knowing the difference. And I'll talk more about, about, about that. And I just wanted to read some of the things that um, the Buddha suggests are uh, on the inappropriate uh, side of things. So just to give you a, a sense, you're probably familiar with, with a lot of this. Um, 
um, harsh, malicious, false, divisive, uh, gossip, concerned with personal gain, connected with inner hate, low, vulgar, coarse, ignoble, uh, unbeneficial, hurried, rough, hard, hurtful, offensive. So, um, on the other side of appropriate, skillful, wise speech, we have um, a speech which is true, useful, timely, that which promotes harmony, friendship, brings peace, is connected with loving kindness, is gentle, springs from compassion for the welfare of beings, is beneficial, avoids self-praise, avoids censure of others, is unhurried, um, speaks words, uh, words that are pleasing, that go to the heart. So, certainly that gives us some idea. And, yeah, in some ways, um, it's that simplicity of um, knowing, learning to, again, through practice, through trial and error, through sensitivity, yeah, what what serves and what doesn't, what actually helps and what doesn't, and what um, is actually supportive of our happiness and, and the happiness of others and what isn't. So what I'd like to reflect on uh, further is something about what is it in our practice, in our lives, that actually supports this? Because we might say, oh yeah, great, okay appropriate speech, speech that's true, that's useful, that's timely, speech that actually comes from compassion. Okay, how do we how do we do that? How do we cultivate the conditions that support that? How do we bring the obstacles to that to light? And how do we how do we practice that? And and um, yeah, I think for me this is a real ongoing question. So in a sense no particular answers but hopefully some indications on how we can how we can understand what we're doing on retreat can support us with that i found what i, f- I found a, what to me was a very helpful image of um the way that mindfulness that awareness and effort and uh understanding wise understanding run circle around wise speech so I got this really clear image somehow of a shepherd and two sheepdogs circling around a bunch of sheep. So that the understanding is like the shepherd and the, the um, two sheepdogs like the effort, wise effort that Martine was talking about earlier today and the mindfulness, the sensitive presence, the coming into contact with as the, the way that we can kind of work with, take care of the unruly, the unruly, perhaps sometimes sheep of speech. <laughs> so, um, so I wanted to pick up on that and, and, and just reflect a little bit on, okay, mindfulness and different ways we might apply that. 
um, to to our exploration and to our um, a cultivation of the kind of conditions that um, support wise speech. Also touching upon perhaps a broader area of communication and and language sort of more more generally. So first of all, um, we take the aspect of mindfulness that's um, simple awareness. And we've been talking a lot about this, about coming into contact with things as they actually are. And how much that can support, again, appropriate speech. Um, just, I don't know if this is a silly example, but recently on a walk, I looked up and I thought, there is a horse on a hedge. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't talking to anyone, I was talking to myself, but obviously the horse was not on the hedge. The horse was in the field. But it looked like, you know, from my perspective, from my viewpoint, as if the horse was on the hedge. I thought, how often are we doing this? The horse is definitely on the hedge. You know, I know the horse is on it. <clears throat> and then to discover, actually, the horse is clearly in the field. We really got that one wrong. So, you know, the, the way that we can so uh, be uh, kind of driven by certain sort of momentum, isn't it, impulses, and we'll talk a bit more about that later, the different kinds of drives or momentums that can be kind of operating and our mouth starts going and, you know, we can feel like there's, you know, something going on that we don't seem to have much connection with. So actually, I was thinking to actually know that physically that you're talking. Like right now I'm talking, but you know, to actually, oh, there are actually words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> just that, I mean, how, how much just to come into contact with that when we're, when we're speaking. You know, also sometimes to, you know, when you're, when you're talking to somebody, do you actually look at them? Or are you actually looking out the window or kind of somewhere in between or... You're sort of half looking at them. And what happens when you actually directly look? I had a very powerful experience of this once when I was working with somebody and we got into one of those awful things, you know, where you just start really disliking and then you, they dislike you and you dislike each other and it's just going on and on. It's kind of nobody's really doing anything about it. And anyway after a while it came about that we did actually sit down together and it was the most amazing moment because we sat down we faced each other and you know conditions fortunately came together in a way that it just the whole thing kind of fell apart and I, I looked at this person and my heart just opened and I said I'm so sorry and then we had a conversation and it was amazing and this whole thing you know this whole horrible sort of thing it just and I think part of that was just in that moment that we're having the courage to just sit down and just look, look at each other. And I didn't have any idea what I was going to say. <laughs> it was really scary, you know, coming to that moment. And it was such a lesson, and it was such a lesson to me in um, sort of going through that fear and then the power of just 
sitting, and I know an example I know some of us experienced in the small groups today and maybe yesterday, how lovely to sit and actually talk and look at each other and laugh about things and, ah, oh, you know, kind of how, how much that helped, you know. And how, how, how much um, we can, in our, in our minds, get, you know, create so much suffering. Um, just not, we're just not looking. We're not really looking, you know. Um, so, yeah, I could think of, of um, many, many examples of that. Possibly you can too. So simple awareness of, of oneself, um, of um, of of the other, and of 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 a context of um, of the situation that that you're in. I just uh, an example, um, a very powerful moment for me in my life when my beloved foster mum was dying, and I was really struggling with it. It was really hard, and I, I just it was very hard to not suffer uh, in in all of that, even though she was actually not suffering so much. And there was one point when I was sitting with her, she was very ill and very, sort of pretty much not, for, not very there. And I just, I just seemed to um, be able to drop into this very simple mindfulness. I was hearing the hoover, somebody was hoovering down the hall, and I could hear somebody talking, and just the quiet in the room, and her breathing. And just, I don't know, it was, I was just able to kind of calm down and it was so much about coming into contact with that bare very simple reality and out of that I was able to um, I had to leave and I was able to say goodbye I was able to to leave with some degree of calm and that was the last time I saw her and so I think that power of, the, of that simplicity and that I wasn't able to you know maintain that but um, there it was it did arise so and and sometimes I've heard it said that that practice is that's what it's for it's for those moments it's for those really difficult moments and it can you know, it can support us so another aspect of uh, mindfulness um, protection, you could say, and this is that um, sense of really being able to see one's reactions, or you know, a sense of liking, disliking, and then being able to kind of catch, you know, catch yourself before you <laughs> say, you know, something that you may regret, and us being able to see the irritation arise you know oh and the annoying the unpleasantness of something somebody said or done and being able to really see that unpleasantness and being able to just catch yourself so that you can actually oh okay don't have to and it's it's in a way it's just the, the mindfulness itself can be can be enough sometimes just to see that just to see that um i think you know perhaps something about the body like i wanted to if if you um bring a bare attention say to your body 
when you're speaking to somebody or when you're about to. And you know how you can almost feel in your posture, right, I'm going to, you know, and to bring awareness to, or there's a posture of kind of, mm, you know, kind of drawing back or, you know, puffing oneself up. or and, and sometimes, you know, quite subtle. We don't even know we're doing it, you know, or our shoulders are up round our ears or some way in which our body has sort of getting itself into some posture out of which we are then going to speak or out of which we're going to be you know, silent and not speak or some, some posture. So again, to bring some simple, some bare awareness to that could be really, really helpful. So another aspect of, of mindfulness is this aspect of being able to abstain or restrain, refrain, refrain from when perhaps um, you know some some process of reaction is already kind of happening, but you know, I'm, I, I have an example of well, I was in, working in the kitchen in Guy House on a work retreat, and something that somebody was doing just made I was so angry. I was just fuming. Everybody looked at me. You know, steam was coming out of my ears, and it was just, you know ridiculous. It was just about something quite small, but you know, and I was able, fortunately, in that particular moment to just restrain myself you know I didn't shout I didn't throw anything you know I, I'm trying to remember exactly what I did maybe I washed the dishes a bit more vigorously I, I can't actually quite remember what I did but it was a real moment of you know the heat the heat rising you know that anger and it's just and it's righteous anger you are right to be angry that person did that wrong and that you know that's very powerful very powerful and just that you know that commitment to okay not I'm not gonna go with this no and it does arise and pass and you don't blow a fuse you know and the top of your head doesn't come off and that's very again I think even one moment of that can be really really helpful I wanted to read something that Thich Nhat Hanh said about anger which I found really helpful and actually to me this um Maybe we can apply this to almost any emotion. And, and again, thinking of the way that that is so much, our emotional state is so much the ground or the sort of uh, context from which we're speaking. So he says, Treat your anger with utmost respect and tenderness, for it is no other than yourself. Do not suppress it. Simply be aware of it. Awareness is like the sun. When it shines on things, they are transformed. When you are aware that you are angry, your anger is transformed. If you destroy anger, you destroy the Buddha. For Buddha and Mara are of the same essence. Mindfully dealing with anger is like taking the hand of a little brother. Taking the hand of a little brother. Now what would it be to, you know, genuinely be able to relate to our emotional life in that way? Um, so uh, another, another aspect of mindfulness I wanted to mention is the 
possibility of re- reframing of the skillful use of thought you know how can i can i look at this differently and the way for example on retreat we can practice with how we talk to ourselves you know all that that speech that sort of internal chatter and speech and how we can actually within the context of a retreat also practice skillful wise speech with ourselves you know and i i was sort of thinking well listening questioning you know that like what would be helpful here for example or just reflecting reflecting on 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 something that's that's happening for us um and sometimes you know guiding yourself you know but again taking the little brother by the hand maybe we need to go and just put our attention back on our breath okay <laughs> you know then we can the way we can actually talk to ourselves in in a way that's kind that's helpful and we can really practice that on retreat and how much that will then actually really support the way we speak to other people because of course it's not really separate it's not really different there's a lovely story that i really like which i remember reading and i think in a sharon sharon salzberg book about her practicing loving kindness meditation and having spent a week um repeating these phrases wishing herself well and thinking nothing is happening you know what's this practice mm, doesn't anything happening and then she had some other friends had a call to go away to to care for somebody who was ill she was in the bathroom getting ready and she dropped a jar on the floor and it broke and she found herself saying oh you are a klutz but i love you you know i love this it was like a moment of oh Uh, right <laughs> maybe that had been having an effect and so again it's such a wonderful example of you know as we like my team is saying the cultivation the cultivation that we're doing here kindness patience mindfulness you know we think nothing's happening i'm still feeling grumpy you know my body is still hurting in fact it's hurting more you know whatever it is and and we think nothing's happening and of course that's not true but you know we don't always uh, uh see and perceive the results and the and the fruits of that in a way that we think we should you know and to see it now please you know really you know but we will we will see it we do see it so um another way that this uh, this mind these different forms of mindfulness can can help us is in facing harsh harsh speech and i particularly wanted to share something the buddha said in this respect and give an example something from my own experience um so facing harsh or unwise speech from others obviously that's that's a big part of what we what we face and how to you know how to how to approach that so he says um in regard to this facing harsh speech from others we shall train thus we shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate we shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness and yeah several examples i i i thought of maybe you can think of of your own but um uh an example I was sitting on an airplane and the couple behind me got into this really quite nasty kind of argument kind of it was just really very harsh speech and you know you could 
feel people around kind of and then what do you do and you know it's kind of a difficult situation and so I tried I I, I, I thought about I did seriously think about turning around and saying something but I wasn't sure that was going to be the right thing so I just really went into doing this compassion this loving kindness practice or for them for us for, for all of us who, who were around and really gave my heart and mind like really went for it you know for probably about half an hour or something and 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 they they you know whether that had any influence on it but they did calm down and I did as well and I and I I I felt I don't know quite what happened there but it felt like it was some sort of contribution even if I can't say exactly what happened and maybe there are other examples you can think of where it's it's clearer um but I, I wondered about. I've always wondered about that. I wonder what, what was happening there. Was there any connection, or was it? Yeah, I don't know. But it, it certainly felt like a, a helpful, a helpful practice. Um, so wise effort. The other one of the the other the other sheepdog. On the remember the wise view. The and then the two sheepdogs of wise. Mindfulness and wise effort. Just very briefly on, on this one, um, that wise effort is a lot about, again, the creation or the cultivation of the kinds of mind states and heart, um, states of heart and attitudes of mind that from which, from which helpful, wise, appropriate speech naturally arises. So we've already been talking quite a lot about that and compassion and kindness, generosity, appreciation, calm. And so even in the midst of a difficult situation, the midst of difficult emotions in ourself or another, to really be able to, to bring from our meditation practice, to be able to bring, okay, what is it to bring that steadiness, that calmness? What is it to bring that kindness? To know that that, that is a, a great support. So, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the understanding sheepdog. And again, it's like this. There's so much in in this, but a couple of a couple of of, of things I'd like to focus on. One is about views, views, opinions beliefs, judgments, conclusions. So the kinds of thoughts that are often um, part of, I had this image of the iceberg of speech. You know the actual words that you say, like the bit of the iceberg on the surface. What's underneath? What's underneath the surface? Kind of holding that, holding that in place. And to actually inquire into... I mean, sometimes it's very obvious because you're saying it. You're saying, you're stupid or I'm stupid. It's like, oh, there's a view, there's an opinion, a fixed judgment about oneself or another. And how, you know, the painfulness of that, the, um, the, the suffering in that. So to bring mindfulness to that. And... Yeah, so it's it's we we can we can understand we can perhaps also 
um, listen, you know, when we hear other people, perhaps again as part of sometimes that speech is coming at you and it's like, what's under that? What's feeding that? What, you know, what are the sort of beliefs under that that are, that are you know, kind of feeding that, that harshness or that falseness or whatever it is? And how much um, it can help us to um, begin to question, question the truth of these, of these judgments, of these views of, of self and other. Um, just one small example. Um, years and years and years ago, I was in a conversation and this person sort of said to me at one point, you're unimaginative. And it, the way it just hit me, it hurt so much. And I thought about it in, in, you know, subsequently. And of course I realised part of what's going on there is that I already believe that about myself. That's why it hurt so much. And I hadn't even realised I thought that. It's like on the surface, oh, I'm creative, you know, I'm into the arts and I'm... You know, and so it, I think it, that's partly why it just oof, because underneath there's this feeling I'm really, you know, I'm I'm not imaginative. I'm not, you know, I'm a bit of a fraud and a fake, you know. And and then this person says that it's like, oh my god, I'm exposed. You know, I really am completely unimaginative. Oh gosh, you know, now it's out there and there's no hiding from it. And and so in a way it was kind of I couldn't didn't see it like that for years, but in a way it was quite a helpful moment. You know, in retrospect, and sometimes I think, you know, that that's somebody says something to you. Where does it? Where is it that it hits? That it hurts? What are you providing? It's almost like we provide a target, saying, you know, this is me. I'm like this. Or you get the opposite of it, it clashes with your view of yourself. You know, somebody <laughs> says you're stupid, and you happen to know that you're really intelligent. <laughs> and they, no, I'm not. I'm really clever. You know, what do you mean? So it can, it can be really helpful as you know, part of that reactivity to see the, what's the view? What's the, the view that we're holding on to? And can we question that? Can we see that actually it's just a thought? This, 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 it can have such power, can't it? What is it, you know, when you believe something that you think or that you believe something that someone else says? And it feels so true and so powerful, and it seems to have this great power to shape reality. And then, you know, if you really look, it's like it's just a thought. What's happening there? What is happening? How, how, you know, how is that thought being given this absolute, you know, huge sometimes authority and power? And then, you know, it's it's reiterated, it's fed again and again and again. Is actually only ever just a thought. So another part of um, the wise understanding I'd like to touch on is the power of craving. Now I might right now as I'm speaking, I might say, okay, what's what's the motivation? What's the, the is there a sense of push? Is there a sense of speech being I sometimes think of you're on the front of a locomotive, you know? 
What's in the locomotive? Is is there or is there a sense of the the speech arising in a more natural sort of responsive, easy way? There's no particular push. There's no demand. There's no I've got to persuade them of this, or I've got to look good, or I've got to whatever. But so often when we speak, there is, isn't there? There's some kind of a push or a pull. And I was sort of thinking this can manifest in so many different ways. You know, all the forms of craving, of, of wanting to get something. So you're talking to somebody in a particular way, on a particular topic, because you want something from them. The first kind of craving, sense desire. Now to really, really see, see that in our speech. Really, really helpful. You know, sometimes it's so automatic. You know, recently somebody in the uh, dining room here, in the coordinator's dining room, whatever it's called now, I don't know what the proper name is now, um, was offering around chocolate. <laughs> and it was so funny because, like, I could just feel that instant kind of, oh, yes, please, you know. It's like, it was just completely automatic. I was thinking, do I really want one or no? It was just one of those sort of instant kind of, Oh, yes, you know, the speech and the take. and the, you know, Really interesting. The other kind of um, uh, craving of pushing away, pulling away from. You know how you can use speech to kind of try and set a bit of distance, or yes, not really, or you hide, or you're trying to withdraw, or sort of look that way, you know, don't look here, look over there. You know, <laughs> all the ways that we can use speech as a, 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 a camouflage, withdrawal or on the on the other on on the other aspect of that of of pushing away or aggression subtle kind of put down another thing i noticed very recently talking to somebody and realizing that at one point in the conversation i felt uncomfortable so i thought i'm doing my wise speech you know mindfulness so i went away and thought about it and i realized that that was really helpful because when I thought about it, I realized that at that point in the conversation, a push came up, you know, a, a push. And I, what it was, was I want to be as clever as that person is. And so what I had done was to say something to sound like, well, I know about that too, you know, actually. <laughs> and it was really helpful, it was really helpful to see that. So even, you know, taking us, one of the things I really wanted to say during this talk was, I'm going to probably continue with this as a reflection because it has just brought so much more awareness, you know, to the speaking. Not all the time. I mean, sometimes I go away and I think, hmm, not really sure quite what happened there. You know? But it's, it's, I think, such a difficult area to, to bring mindfulness to for, for all ki- kinds of, of reasons. So, you know, that, I, I, and, and just, but how helpful it was for me to see that, because I think, hopefully, uh, in, you know, when I have further conversations with that person where perhaps there's a certain sort of conditioning, you know how some of your relationships have specific conditioning, don't you? When you're with this person, you tend to feel, you know, a bit superior, like, you know. With other people, you tend to feel, oh, well, I'll never, and they're really, oh, dear, and I won't, you know. And then with other people, different kinds of conditioning, you know. So it's so helpful to see that, and and to to me, it's it's like again so much freedom, so much um, kind of ease can come in. Just oh yeah, it's okay. Just just seeing that. So um, 
the kinds of craving that the, the wanting to get away from, the wanting to be, you know, be the clever person or whatever it is, and the trying to get, <coughs> trying to, to grab. And I'm sure you can for yourself, you can you know you can feel it on a, on an energetic level, you can see it as a, a, a view, you can also perhaps identify it as a um, particular sets of emotional reactions that you have, you know, which can also be kind of our, our, you know, when I'm with this person I tend to feel angry or <laughs> when I'm with, with this particular group I tend to feel scared or whatever it is. And you can, that gives you a real clue, um, real sort of invitation to look. So the last, the last thing I wanted to um, mention was um, the application of wisdom, the um, a- active, intentional um, bringing of our, our understanding, understanding that really um, helps and frees us and frees other people um, from 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 our our reactivity and habits as well. And um, yeah, fairly briefly, um, particularly the, the, these these uh, aspects, these three characteristics of impermanence. And unsatisfactoriness and uh, not self, insubstantiality, and how um, when we bring an awareness of change, maybe you felt it today, or on the, you know, when the encouragement to notice the arising and passing of sounds. If we if we bring this into our speech life, it can have I think a lot just so much power so much so much support to to really speak with an awareness of impermanence on all sorts of levels the fact that everything's changing and passing away the fact that we are so mortal and fragile and we are here for such a short amount of time that the person we're talking to you know just like us is going to die that there's some some sense of that mortality, some sense of the the fleetingness, and and when we really um, when we really open to that, I think it can be such again a source of um, wisdom, a, a kind of a source from which we can speak with um, with uh, kindness, with um, a kind of um, embracing of our real situation again as Martins was saying our real situation not our imagined one um, so what might we want to say or not say in the light of that awareness what equally when we open to the unsatisfactoriness of things when we when we really know that that person or relationship or situation or thing or job or whatever it is we're you know trying to get state of mind whatever when we really really open again to that awareness of the 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 incapacity of anything anything at all to provide us with any lasting security, peace, 
happiness. What kind of speech, what kind of actions, what kind of thoughts arise from that? And lastly, when we, when we begin to disidentify, when, when we learn to begin to see the conditions of our life, of our, of our mind and of our heart in, in a less personal way, and when we realize this is the human condition, that we're experiencing, you know, this is not mine, this is not under my control. When we begin to actually open to that and also recognize that that's the case for everyone else and we can um, relate to ourselves and to another as more as a process, as a flow of conditions, as I've heard Martine say, what kind of speech arises from that understanding? Now, when we really, when we really can bring that, bring that into our situation. So um, we have the um, silence, the stillness, silence that we can learn to connect with on retreat and in our lives. We have the capacity to cultivate skillful states of mind, calmness, clarity, kindness. We can practice deep listening. And out of that, this natural compassion, this um, sensitivity, this... uh, uh, ability to to respond appropriately can naturally arise and within that we can learn hopefully more and more what it is to speak in ways that are true useful and timely so I'd like to finish with um, a poem by David Budbill called Bugs in a Bowl Han Shan, that great, crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said We're just like bugs in a bowl All day going around, never leaving their bowl I say, that's right, every day Climbing back up steep sides, sliding back over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself. Or look around, see your fellow bugs, walk around, say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. <laughs> So um, we have a few minutes now. I'd really like to open it up um, if anybody would like to respond.
speak, <laughs> um, ask questions and just uh, share reflection, um, please do feel free. Okay, so uh, thank you for your attention and uh, now we have time for walking and we'll meet back in here at nine.